0: First of all, I I listened a little bit to this, the old Cedars here podcast. The old Cedars here. Cedars here. Cedars here podcast on my way home.
1: Yeah, how long have you been listening to the Cedars here podcast?
0: I, I, I honestly didn't know what it was, and I Googled Cedars here. Hello, Ryan. This is Jesse Dickens. And I, I just thought it was. Really
1: cool. He says, Petal, what do you think of my skate screen? You
0: need to have the right information.
2: Put
1: your phones down. Oh, There's... hi, is this the editorial
0: department?
1: Well, actually, not quite, last. He's got Clubnet back there. A real Hickory High School story there for Great Britain. This is the best
0: question I have had of all questions in 10 years. 10 years. No, and if Ryan, you're for sure not listening, but if, if you were if you were I got your email. You are no, you're brilliant. This is like exactly like right you hit the nail on the head. He's won twenty four for
3: the last twenty six that he's been in. No, I mean I'm
1: I'm scared that you that. And now up the Uphill, he's got a hop and he goes. Pellegrino knows it is urgent and he goes after him. Deep, deep mountains. Lobo looks like he's taking care of everything though. Could anyone possibly could buy him at this point? Pellegrino is going. He's going to try for it. Pellegrino! Pellegrino looks over right Pellegrino!
0: I will get back to you and I agree. Put
1: your phones down. Put
0: your phones down. Put your
1: phones down, kids. Well, good morning, everyone. It is just after 5 a.m. here, Mountain Standard Time, Leadville, Colorado. I'm your host, Ryan Cedarquist. This is the Cedar Skier Podcast. And in the ever evolving decision-making process between sleep, ski, and Cedar Skier Podcast, I have decided to come to you, Grip Wax Nation, with yet another show. And the reason the choices are Sleep, Ski, and Cedar Skier podcast, as you can tell, my voice a little bit, I don't know, nasally, Um, I've got a little cold again, Novi passed something on to me, and then also I've skied, I don't know, somewhere in the 23 to 24 hour range this week, Uh, because... Because this is the time to add on volume, you got to pile on volume mid-season, right? Taper for those late races at, it, at the last minute. Uh, actually, we've just finally had some really good conditions out here in Colorado, so I've been doing a lot of classic skiing. I was out covering the high school state cross-country ski race in Frisco, and it was just like perfect. So, I... oh, oh yeah, oh there's the a odd. Oh gosh. So maybe my choice is backfiring. Uh, anyway, I was I was out at Frisco watching the kids, the passion at Frisco Nordic Center one of the most fun sporting events to cover, I think, every year. And so I was there. The week before, I was actually at Malloy Park covering some a mixture of high school NCAA World Cup, even a few Olympians there. And I had sound bites for them, and I guess I could play them for you today on the show. Originally, actually, I had a show planned, and it was forty five minutes had been produced for that show. And um, then Novi woke up. I had to take care of her. The day went on. I never came back. was never able to finish the show. Seven days later, and I'm like, well, this is stupid. No one's going to want to listen to Novi McCabe and Sophia Laukley talk about world U23s like 45 days after they've happened. And so I just... I haven't published that, and I'm sorry if you're like, no, no, you gotta, you gotta play it. One thing that was kind of depressing. I actually think when I interviewed Novi McCabe, she said that she was not doing um, Senior Worlds, and I'm pretty sure that I was the first person I would have been able to break that news because um, now that that showed up on Nordic Insights later, you know, like, hey, here's the people who are actually competing. Here's the people who are nominated but aren't competing. But for a brief moment there. I think I stood alone at a place, and I, I just wish I could have been the person, you know, the Adam Schefter of cross country skiing, where it could have been, according to the Cedar Skier podcast, Novi McCabe will not be competing. But that did not happen because we just we couldn't pull through. So, podcasting, it's becoming, it's, it's, it's falling so far down on the totem pole right now. No, I, I'm just kidding. It's not. We prioritize you, our listeners. Actually, um, I'm planning on getting a bunch of shows together this week because we've got worlds the world championships. I don't know if you heard of it. Um, that's gonna be happening. It's gonna be very exciting. And um one announcement I will be saying, I guess I had this again of this other show, you know, I wanted to tell you this personally, heartfelt, but I will not be broadcasting for worlds. Um Keek and Randall, Chad Silmel are gonna be coming on and doing that. And basically I found out like a day or two before that press release came out, that I was not going to be broadcasting. So I had actually had up until mid February here, early mid February. It was about that what February tenth, maybe when this happened. Um, I don't know. I guess I could go back and look at my emails, but I had I had been I was under the assumption that I was locked in for I think eight of the days for World Championships. Pretty excited, you know. It was going to be a busy February March. I I didn't sign up for my own races, so I had kind of blocked off this chunk of the race calendar, which all of you Nordic skiers out there know that's pretty significant, you know, multiple weekends and kind of the only weekends you'd be racing, so I would set that aside early um, and thinking I was going to be broadcasting and then found out that I wasn't just basically, hey, sorry, U.S. Skate Snowboard is bringing in their own people. And that's that. And I don't know anything beyond that. So I guess I'm not going to speculate. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Um, it was dis- it was disappointing news, obviously. Um, and, and, yeah, obviously a little bit bummed about just how it came about, how quickly everything changed. Maybe that's just how it goes. I think Keegan and Chad were a great team uh, for the Olympics. Uh, so I'm sure they'll do wonderful. And, um, the, the one thing that I'm curious about is I'm not, I wonder if they'll be in the same location as they're doing this because, you know, as we broadcast, Andrew, myself, Peter Graves, anyone on skin you know, we're broadcasting from just our home studios and, um, that, that's, that could be challenging. I guess I, I don't know why we don't always get a commentary, a person to commentate with us, color commentary. Um, I think part of it is because we're all at different locations, but maybe not. I don't know if the technology's. I would assume the technology is there. You could have two people broadcasting at the same time, but it would just be tricky to, you know, coordinate when you're going to talk and when you're not. But it should be interesting to have Chad Keegan on and maybe someone can ask them that question, whether or not they are broadcasting from the same location. But for those of you listening to SkiAndSnowboard.live and watching those broadcasts, I appreciate the support that you've given us. And yeah, it'd be cool if we had color commentators. I think that would be um definitely a plus. And when you're when you're broadcasting solo, it's a totally different skill than if you are broadcasting with someone else. Um because the one advantage, you know, having a color person there, someone someone can be telling the story, what's objectively sort of taking place in front of them and someone else can sort of be editorializing it and it feels natural to have those two viewpoints. But if you just got one person, you know, it you have to try and do both jobs, but that's that's awkward. It's it's kind of like if you picked up a newspaper you know, the New York Times you're reading the front page story about, um, you know, the train derailment in East Palestine or something, although they're not really covering that, I wonder why. Uh but if but if they uh if they wrote a story there, and and you're like hearing facts, and then a mixture of editorializing, and you're just like overwhelmed by that, that's sort of a little bit the same thing. It's like you would never see that in a news story, and it's kind of rare to see that if it's just a single guy, you know, saying what's happening, then stating his opinion, then stating what people are thinking. Um, it's it's a def, definitely a delicate ballet dance. So I mean, all that's to say, if you're out there thinking, man, I wish they, I wish they had color commentary person. I think I think Andrew, Peter and I would all say yeah, that'd be great too. It would be fun. It would make it I think a little bit more enjoyable. It would definitely make it easier to bounce back and forth between someone as well. It, it's I mean, you try you try talking over a race, right? The entire time. You got to do some prep and have some things to say. Um and I know for me, you know, personally, I probably my advantages or my strengths when I'm broadcasting are I try to bring some energy I do a lot of legwork beforehand because I'm not pulling from a personal competitive World Cup career, obviously. That would be the biggest advantage you could possibly bring to the booth is if you yourself had competed on those courses, you knew exactly what it was like to be there, what it was like to be in those situations. And that's obviously what Keegan Randall has. Um, I do not have that. So, you know, I have to try to make up for it in other areas. Uh, But anyway, you know, that's... That's that. We'll leave it at that. Um, there's so many topics to get to today, actually, that I don't even really know where to start. Because I kind of feel like we gotta we gotta play a little bit of catch up. Let's let's do that. Let's play catch up first. So, to start off the show, um, going all the way back to Le Rus, no one no one really brought this up. I feel like when it comes to Les Rousses, and that is that that course and that venue won. Was designed to take down Clabo, in a sprint, and it was it was like the French concocted this master plan. Like, I don't know. I, I guess I'd have to go back and look when they started building the venue, the sprint course, and whatever. But it felt a little bit like this. The, what came to fruition with Richard Juve, um, Richard Juve, winning the sprint over Clabo it was like this years of the making. We built a course that that uh, the course itself. Would lend to our guy's favor, takedown Clabo, uh, by having the monster hill right away, by making it, um, you know, from that point work itself into a technical downhill that, and, and the, the finishing stretch where it's like it's, it's kind of a false, not, not really a flat at all, right? It was like a, a, a definitely a double pole finish. um, I don't know. It just, it seemed to me like if there, if someone could have designed a course that, that would beat Clabo in a classic sprint, that would be it because his huge advantage is going up and over sprinting, running hills. So you take that out of the picture or you put that right away in the course, you know, you've got the rest two minutes to come back on that. And then to top it off, finishing with a pretty prolonged double pole sprint, you know, for a guy with upper-body upper body power, the French athletes, both Chaneva and Juve, I would say, fall into that category. Um, yeah, it just seemed like perfectly designed for that. Now, I will also say my second point of the French event, everyone already brought up how exciting it was and how much energy there was. That's cool, and that was great. And I think part of it is because the course was one of the most fair courses. Now I'm talking a little bit more of the distance course. What what One of the more fair courses, and maybe the sprint too, honestly, because the fact that you didn't really have one element of that sprint course or distance course that really defined, you know, each of the laps, I guess in the distance they had the crazy hill, right? That was, or was that block? Now I'm just trying to get confused which one had the monster climb. Um no i think that was that was Le Russe, that they climbed up the the ski jump hill um yeah yeah but but anyway i mean so you could say that's a defining characteristic of it but but it was still early enough in the lap where it's like i mean i guess the distance race they had a they had a chance to make moves on it no one really did though you know no, no there wasn't like some crazy breakaway on that like i thought maybe might happen i think it was because everything else was challenging enough where people were just generally tired throughout i don't, it just seemed like a true a true course with a lot of fairness to it. Like, um, you know, one of my pet peeves with cross country ski races and courses in general is is they're not they're not typically very fair. And sometimes they play into your strengths and it's great. And sometimes they don't and it's frustrating. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. I I thought that was pretty cool actually about La Roos is that it just seemed like the type of course that was a a true fair World Cup course made for some really exciting racing. All right, next, I, I have to get to some um, reader email to us because, by the way, if you ever have thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, we take the four C's here, comments, questions, concerns, complaints, Um, you can send us, drop us a line, cedarsgear at gmail.com, S, that's all lowercase, S-E-D-E-R, what, how would I say again? Oh yeah, S-E-D-E-R-S-K-I-E-R at gmail.com shoot us an email with your questions comments concerns complaints even and we will read them we have one uh, this goes way back to one of our previous shows um i won't read if you want to be anonymous that's fine i'll keep this one anonymous i didn't ask this person if they want to have their name shared but um he says a few responses to some of your call outs on your podcast okay why you see skiers taking energy drinks seven minutes into a 35-minute race? I totally agree. Okay, so remember the previous show, we were talking about how in a 20K, or it was even less than that, it was like a 15K, I don't know, it was it was a, it was was between 35 and 45 minutes, uh, maybe it was Davos, I don't remember for sure, but one of those races, and people were taking feeds seven minutes into the race, uh, and I was going berserk about this, and he says, I totally agree. The average person stores about 2,000 calories of glycogen, way more than any skier could burn for this distance, even double that. And if they are taking drinks on seven minutes into the race, why didn't they just take that at the start line and save themselves the trouble during the race? There's also no way it's a hydration issue for such a short time. There has been interesting research regarding the placebo effect of just swishing sweet drink in your mouth and then spitting it out, but even that would seem to be more applicable much later when the body is starting to sense an energy deficit or impending bonk. Okay, yeah. I mean, I don't know, guys. I don't know what to say. Like, um Yeah, this is great this is a great point. I think I brought this up too that a trained athlete can store more than two thousand calories of glycogen. Um because and especially depending on how you train, this might be the reason that I can myself personally i can go much farther than that i mean i i routinely go on two three four hour efforts on my bike or on skis and i i will have eaten something at like 9 p.m the night before had coffee in the morning and that's it you know like i just kind of go do stuff and if i go longer than two and a half hours i sometimes have to like drink water but I mean, and granted, I know I'm not going like marathon paced effort. However, I have not um, taken in anything prior to any of my marathon races for a couple of years now. Um, I think even, well, maybe at the Pepsi Challenge last year that that race was uh, I don't know two and a half hours, two hours and forty minutes. I might have taken a sip of something like two hours and twenty minutes into that race. I don't know. I don't think I did. I think I like, uh, yeah, I don't think I did. I think I had to just like go because I was worried I was going to get caught by this guy behind me. I can't remember totally, but, and I won't talk about myself here, but yeah, you can, if you're, if you're trained on a fasted, you know, stomach, or you kind of like, um, well, basically I'll, I'll put it this way, like carbo loading, carbo loading before a workout or a race, and then going, for a long time and depleting that and then restoring that immediately that cycle can train your body you can adapt to like hold more carbs actually in addition to burning them more efficiently um, you know being in that like I guess with the fat burning zone you know more of an aerobic state. So depending on the effort, now these athletes, they're going a lot harder. So they are, they're not burning like, you know, that, that ratio of like 93% fat and 7% carbs or whatever, where you'd see someone running like a hundred mile race is doing. Um, and remember you, you still need carbs to burn fats. Like fats are burning in the flames of carbohydrates as your physiological, your physiology textbook will say. So at some point you're going to need to start replenishing carbs. That's the thing you're really going to need to replenish no matter what. Like, however far you're going, you need to start getting that glycogen in. But, yeah, the point is, is, like, in a 45-minute race, even if you're going absolute balls to the walls and you're burning straight glycogen, like, your body, even just a normal, regular person with no training whatsoever, is going to have 2,000. So if you've got 2,000 calories, there's just no reason why seven minutes into that race you would need to be replacing that. Um, Unless you were, again, going... If you were going to be going for, like... Four hours at Iliad Kipchoge pace. Then I think there's some signs backing the every 20 minutes you need us X amount of glycogen, but that is not the case here. So it's ridiculous. Thank you, reader, for supporting me in the ridiculousness of that. Uh, his second thing he says is, well, he says, um, second, your pet peeve about Sastra on the outside of the ski track. Yeah. He says a lot of that seems to be a simple equation of skier traffic. No, not out here. Not out here. It has everything to do. It has everything to do with the groomer. And he, and you know what, we've actually been somewhat blessed despite the fact that I was going to bring this up actually. So this might be a little bit of a rabbit trail. Despite the fact that the mineral belt has not been groomed in 14 days until yesterday, it got groomed finally. We've had actually pretty good firm double pull conditions even in the tracks lately because one, we haven't had that much snow. So when they have groomed it, you're kind of like cementing in something that's already pretty com- compressed. And two, if the groomer goes just slightly on the inside of his last groom, then you're getting the weight of the groomer over a different spot and you're firming things up. And that that's that's the biggest thing. So like grooming at the right time of the day, is big. You got to groom like either in the middle of the night, you know, or very early in the morning. So it's it has time to crystallize, recrystallize, and and be firm. Can't groom at eleven a.m. Sorry, CMC people. Note to CMC: If you if you've got anyone out there who listens to this show who who is involved in the CMC grooming here in Leadville, please don't groom the cross country ski trails at like. 11 30 in the morning and but 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 please just groom them every once in a while you know they groom the alpine hill like nine times a week and they groom the cross-country ski ones just in passing randomly okay we, we got to save our rant for the mineral belt grooming but anyway yeah no, it has everything to do with like if they overlap it at the right time in the right spot all of a sudden it's perfect so it's been pretty perfect but that was his second take and finally i like this this third one here how the Jesse lays it all out there and you can make herself suffer and, and can make herself suffer more than anyone else. He says it's becoming a tiring truism. How do people know this? It seems to start with people seeing how her form would get ragged when she gets tired and then the obligatory flop across the finish. How do we know that Daphne Claudel, who looked amazing coming over the Elp de Chemie finish, suffered less than Jesse? It's a compliment to Jesse, but diminishes the rest. Now I don't know if you guys listened to on the Faster Skier they finally did a mailbag podcast, um, and they someone brought this up like basically how do we know, you know if is is Jesse pushing herself harder than these other athletes and um, Sophie, um, Bjornsen no Sophie Sadie Bjornsen was on the show and she kind of said that everyone displays fatigue differently, um. And so she believes that pretty much all these athletes are giving it their all. Now, that's obviously true. Both of those things are true actually. Everyone does display fatigue differently and, and you would assume everyone out there is giving it their all. There certainly is um, a talent though, of giving more a higher percentage of your all. Like that that is different. Was, people have different levels of pain tolerance. People have different levels of ability to access effort levels within themselves. Uh, I I truly believe that 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 is that is a skill a talent in of itself. So I think well well I would agree with Sadie Bjornson that you don't really know as a fan watching who is doing that the best it, it, the visual flopping that that shouldn't be taken as well that person definitely gave it their all so that's, I'm totally in agreement with. However, I would definitely also say you can't just go, well, they're all cross country skiers out there. They're all in the world cup. They're all the best athletes in the world. And and they're all giving it the same. They're all giving it their all. So therefore they're all pushing themselves the same level. No, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true at any level there. and, And you know what? It's not even true by who wins or loses like that talent, the ability to quote, go to the well, that is a unique ability, and some people can do it better than others. Some people can do it a lot better than others, and sometimes the people who can't do it still win because they're just that much better. Uh, um, so I I would push back a little bit on that blanket of a statement. Now, having said that, I think as a broadcaster looking at that, it's probably an easy, oh, wow, look at you know Jesse Diggins coming to the line collapsing you're, you're kind of like you have an easy thing to point out to people like how legendary this is that she's someone who can go to the well because you you see it plus you hear people say that that is her her calling card and her talent so I guess I don't really know I, I don't think I would be able to know unless I trained with Jesse Diggins uh, on a daily basis and really could tell like you know because you, then you start to understand honestly like what people you understand more anyway, what their physiological limits are. So you see sort of how often or how how close they can sort of push the envelope. And the one thing I will say about Diggins that kind of struck me uh, two years ago, uh, I guess it was like a year and a half ago now, but when I was out in Park City in October, I watched a workout, and it was a time trial out at Soldier Hollow, and individuals start, and Jesse Diggins... I, I saw her on one of the major climbs out there at the Soldier Hollow Roller Ski Course, and, and it just struck me that she, when she came by, she was breathing heavier, you know, and maybe that that's not necessarily like a cue, like, oh, wow, see, she's pushing way harder because listen to her breathing. Like, she might not be good. She, she, that might be something she should work on. I don't know, you know, because that's not, again, an indication necessarily that you're going crazy, but there was a level of urgency in her skiing that was unlike anyone else that went by and of anyone else she would have been the one who you could have said dude it's like you know early october this you're you're just time trialing against a bunch of like mixture of college kids and stuff and like who cares right and i thought that that stuck out to me as like how she really that that whole like pushing yourself to the limit kind of thing um it might be a little bit more than just uh, a label that we've all attached to where she, she might really actually do that. So okay, can't really, can't really speak to the, to the uh, truth to that statement. I think you have to train with people to know who, 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 and when and how people are pushing themselves. But I totally agree with the writer here, this emailer saying, how do we know that, you know, Claudel didn't do the same thing in the hill climb. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, like she may have had the most beautiful race up Elp to and, and and been pushing yourself ninety-seven percent to capacity, you know, I, I think I think the body has a limit. Like you can't actually push yourself to hundred percent like a true hundred percent, because your body has sort of a self-preservation, you know, um <laughs> cap that it that it will try to do. So like even if you see people collapsing and and stuff, it's hard to know like so I, I always say like ninety ninety-seven, ninety-eight percent, like that's a that's a crazy output. Because really, when most athletes say, I gave it my all, they probably gave like 91 to 93% of their true quote all, if we wanted to be very literal. So yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, if someone out there has more, you know, intel on certain athletes who might be pushing themselves, I'd be curious. Like As you watch these races, do you see someone in 11th who just is outperforming their potential? Let us know. Um so great points brought up. Obviously, not something that you're the only one thinking that, and and I'm not even. T- I hope hopefully, hopefully I didn't 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 come across as us ripping Jesse Diggins at all. Because again, I think even if well, I I do think she pushes herself quite hard, and and even if there's a uh, an element of the dr- dramatic there, um, in some ways that might be more beneficial for all the next generation anyway, because. The one thing I like about Diggins is she doesn't just do that if she's like in a podium fight. You know, like she truly looks the same throughout every course, whether it's, again, October and Soldier Hollow, whether she's coming across 16th place and had bad skis, or if she's fighting for the top spot on the podium. And I think that's the that's the element that I give her major props for, because if it was truly just a thing for show... You would kind of only see it when the cameras are there. And she does seem to do that just everywhere. And, and I think she is someone who knows how to compete. And when she does compete, she gives it her absolute best. And that is a lost art. It's a lost art. There's so many athletes today who who think about, like, like if a race is going well, then they kind of increase their effort. If it's not going well, they sort of shut things down and they get ready to say, yeah, no, it just wasn't really my day or, you know, I'm focusing on this race. And they give kind of those garbage, dumb answers where, you know, nothing, no, no race actually matters at all except the NCA championships or, you know, qualifying for this or that. And then even at that, they are not having a good race there. They just kind of shut things down. Diggins doesn't do that. She anytime she's in a race, like it is, it's all out. It, it does look that way. So, I th- I think we could we could probably praise her for that, and and that is something I hope she's bringing back to younger athletes as well that are watching. Okay, so hey, here's a talker I wanted to bring up to you, everyone out there. Citizens racing is in full swing. Right? We've got marathons, we got Loppets everywhere. Um, what is what was your best race experience so far this year and why? Was it um did you did you try a new race this year? Did you go back to an oldie but a goodie and it was just uh something different, better course, better grooming, better feed zones is seven minutes in. I don't know, you know, better prizes, whatever. Um t- shoot me an email, Cedarscare Gmail and tell me about the race that you just loved this year. Uh, I know already. I mentioned earlier in the show that I was not able to fill my race counter quite as, you know, deeply as I would have liked, and as much as last year. Um, I tried out some new races last year. One of them that really stuck out, even though it was really kind of a miserable competitive experience, was um, the Marine Saint O'Brien one in Minnesota. Uh, they have they've have been having that race for fifty plus years. I think it's one of the oldest, if not the oldest, race in the Midwest, and um, they—I they, think they've had kind of a 25k, usually 25k classic. They have some skate race distances there as well. Um, it's over kind of in the Stillwater area, Marine Saint O'Brien. Am I saying that right? I think it's Marine Saint O'Brien State Park. Anyway, Google it; you'll probably it'll probably come up. But but anyway, last year they had a 50k, two 25k loops, and a large portion of that 25k loop was like totally 1930s classic skiing where it was like you know barely snowmobile with classic um classic track set through these really steep punchy twisty wood uh hills and yeah i mean it was it was cool to say i guess that i've done that race and i did it the day after doing the Sealy Hills classic another one i'd never done before um, and so both of those races were kind of fun to check out. I think Sealy Hills, again, another one of those experiences where you realize if you go and race in the Midwest, you got to have not just fast skis. They have to be like ultra fast if you want to compete. I think I was ninth overall in that Sealy Hills, double pulling the course. And afterwards, you know, someone who finished nearby me was like, wow, that's amazing that you, you know, you double pulled that. And And I remember kind of thinking, like, if I had had just a little more edge on my skis, all all I had for that race was my skate skis had um, just one layer of, like, paraffin, uh, green, green, like, not, not like, I guess like a base wax sort of. Like, I didn't have any top coats or structure, anything that I even had available to me to use that day, and I just figured... Hey, these are Zach Ketterson's old college skate skis, and he said they're pretty good for cold weather, so they'll probably be pretty good. And they were good, like relative to what I'm used to. I, they felt good, but like in in the first downhill, there were like eight or nine people that went by me. And the reason on a course like that that it's so critical, I think, to have lightning fast skis if you want to really contend, is the nature of those hills is they're so rolling and punchy and steep that you're kind of you fly down one and go up the next one. And if you can go up the next one high enough, like double pulling over the lip is definitely doable. And if you're not, even if it's like three feet difference, like that slows so much momentum and saps so much speed, it became kind of like a little bit of a nightmare. So anyway, I don't know why I'm rambling about that. I wanted to bring up new races that you've done that you've had a good time doing. And speaking of races, here's another talker that I want to bring up on the show. What do you think is an appropriate cost for a Lopet, a citizen's race? And and you can you can answer this according to distance, um, multi day event, whatever. But I'm curious, and the reason I bring that up well, Ajay is falling asleep here. What, you don't think it's interesting? The reason I bring this up is because now that I am not broadcasting the next two weeks, you know, I'm frantically searching for some races to do. And obviously the hometown, the Leadville it would be an obvious choice. Um, I've done it a few years. And I love, I love supporting the Mineral Belt because, you know, it's a place where we can ski in town for free. But lately I've been getting a little bit perturbed by the fact that they don't do a great job of taking care of the Mineral Belt. Um, you know, two years ago... We had a professional grooming that came in twice a week. That was great. It still didn't feel like quite enough grooming, like two times a week. You could get a storm and then it's like unusable for four days. But at least you knew Tuesday and Saturdays it was gonna work. The last two years we we dropped the professional grooming and the grooming happens very randomly. You know, you kind of hope that Saturday morning it will be groomed and that would be the one day you could sort of assume it might be, but like I said, we went like two whole weeks without it being groomed. And ironically this was the the two weeks where I got my email from the Mineral Belt committee about racing in the Leadville Loppet. They're like, you know, make sure you register. It's gonna be great this year. And we've got all these different race courses and, and at the very end it said something along the lines of, you know, and get out there and train for the Lopet. The mineral belt is in great shape. And I wanted to reply to this email and say, what are you talking about A great shape? It's got four inches of powder on there and it hasn't been groomed in 14 days. Um, and my friend th- that same day emailed me and said, hey, did you notice that the Leadville Loppets race cost is $100 right now? Now, you know, obviously we're kind of last minute, you know, um, so maybe the cost goes up, What right? That happens at most races. However, the Lopet, I definitely signed up for that two or three days before the race last year. And I think I paid 60 bucks. And even that I was thinking to myself, well, here's this is kind of my donation to the town, you know, because there wasn't gonna be the annual Grandma Ethel's Volunteer Soup Kitchen Buffet afterwards, which is really a hallmark of the Leadville Lopet, you know. So I knew going in, it's like basically I'm paying 60 bucks to go ski on trails that I ski every single day by myself. And and that's what it was. And in fact, you know, it was well actually last year. You couldn't even ski in the classic tracks for much of it because the, we had this soft on the outside of the track problem. That I was bringing up, so I basically double pulled in the center of the skate track for the entire race. It it was an epic day. I mean, I'll still say it was an epic day, but you know, it cost me my fastest skis, which I still haven't reground. But they went over a rock there in CMC and scraped up the base, and that was frustrating. You know, like. This year, we have a lot less snow. CMC has been a disaster. Don't even don't ski in there, Leadville listeners. Like I, I try to go there all the time. There's one trail that like has snow, everything else. You will destroy your skis. And that's where the trail is supposed to go. There's been no announcement that we're avoiding CMC because of a lack of snow. No one has been out there shoveling like they should be. If you're going to charge $100, then you better be out there making sure your course has adequate snow. You know? Um, I just think there's, there's certain levels. Me personally, if you are charging $100 for a race, then you need to, one, make sure your course is dynamite. There should be immaculate grooming, obviously snow coverage, but immaculate grooming. It should be cement firm on all aspects of that course, you know, and no excuses. Two, if you're charging $100, you you need to give something back to the athlete. I, you know everyone gets the free hat, fine, but like there probably needs to be um, podium prizes, significant cash prizes. Like, and, and I'm thinking, you know, if you think of the Alley Loop event that had what twelve eleven thousand dollars cash per prize. You know, if you think about top three for skate, top three for classic, the team prizes was very very significant now they might have a significant donor that allows them to do that i don't think it's necessary like i'm not saying if you charge 100 bucks then you better have a 12,000 thousand dollar cash i think that's pretty high but you probably should have you know podium something that goes to the top three and in whatever signature events you've got the leadville they kind of do it a little bit differently where it's like you know in the past it's been 60 bucks you kind of know what you're getting. And, and this is why Leadville, the Leadville Output I think has been beautiful. $60, $50 if you register early. You've got all these different race distances, 5K, 10K. You got a little costume race, 21K, 42K. Um, there's plenty of space. You're not like weaving through traffic like you are at the alley loop. You're not stuck behind people like you are at the Berkey. You know, you finish your, you finish your race in front of cheering local fans and then you go inside and you have... 75 different soups and, you know, homemade bread from High Mountain Pies. And then the mayor of the town announces every single, you know, award winner for every single age group. And pretty much everyone walks out with a little cup that says Lad Loppet. So that's that's like one way to make it feel feel very community-based. And for $60, I'm totally fine with spray painting the start line and and, you know, like having a dog bark to send everyone off on the race. I think that's great. And I'm totally fine with it. But if you charge hundred dollars for that same thing, it makes me a little more mad. I think that's that's turned some people away, you know. Like so, to me, I think if you you could kind of go one or two routes. You got like the thirty to sixty dollar range, where you know you as a racer know, hey, great, I get a chance to ski um, in a race setting. I know this is a race. I've got it on the calendar. I'm going to go travel somewhere and do it. I think personally, for thirty to sixty dollars, you you still if you sign up for a race the one thing you should always have is a course that is well manicured you know it doesn't if you're if you're host, hosting a race at all you know that is that's the cost you would pay $20 to go to like a nordic center and and expect to have really immaculate grooming so if you're charging 30 to 60 you still have to have that one thing taken care of i think but beyond that, yeah no, I don't think we, I don't think you need to for any prizes if you if you go 30 or 60 to 60 bucks but I don't know there's been some really great races in Colorado in that price range. The Latigo Loppet, um was a fantastic 30k skate race distance uh, up near Kremlin, and that one was you know this guy comes out and dumps wine across the start line and you raise 2 15k laps on a really different venue. Um, way out in uh, what northern colorado's and and then you you get back and the ranch gives you like a ranch style meal and everyone's sitting on the deck talking about life and skiing and that that's sweet you know like and then even the awards for that it was like painted cowbells you know i mean that's really cool that's 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 what i think is like kind of the dream scenario race the only thing you could do even a little better i think podium ceremonies are cool people People love that stuff. And like, you'd be shocked from top down, I think it adds a layer of like, I don't know, honor and recognition that, that, that motivates people. Like that's a motivating factor throughout the year. Is Oh, I want to be that guy who gets to stand on a podium. Like that's a big deal. So I think any, time any race can do that at an award ceremony, that's a good move. Okay. Now on the other end of the spectrum, we have races like the Berkey charging, crazy amounts right you got like over 170 dollars for some of these races in the midwest to me that is unacceptable (laughs) no matter what And, and the bigger you are you know like everyone's trying to get into that anyway i think i think it becomes almost even it just becomes even worse to some degree because like you know that you're gonna get people to come you have such high demand and then you just can ja- it's it's like the Leadville 100, you know, same thing here where it's 500 bucks for like a running race or 700 bucks for a, a bike race. And I don't know, to me, it just takes away some of the spirit of the race and it makes it so commercialized. And then, you know, the bigger some of those races go, if you're not in the elite field, it's really quite a miserable experience, I think. Um, my, my most, probably one of my worst days on skis was racing my one Berkey I did. From wave eight. Now, if saying that means I never get into another Berkey, fine. It's very sad. One of my goals is to race in an elite, the elite wave of the Berkey Classic. I would love to do that, but uh, but the reason, but one reason I would love to do that is because I think it's one of the only only ways I could enjoy that race. You know, if you're stuck way back there, it it becomes the first hour and a half you're just hoping no one falls into you and destroys you and and then you know the rest of the race you're just frustrated that you can't pass anyone because there's no room so um if you're a listener out there who's like oh i really want to do the berkey you you should definitely if you're going to invest the 55 um thousand dollars that it costs to get to that race you're going to want to make sure you could get into the elite wave or the wave wave one um don't waste your time and anything else because probably have a miserable day um, some other races I saw on Facebook, Ski to the Sun, that looked like an amazing classic race out in Washington, I believe. Yeah, Ajay, I know. Maybe someday we can get there. Ajay's very upset about how I ripped the Berkey there. How could how could I? How could I have ripped that race? The crown jewel of all North American races. Uh, here's another race I'd like to do. The Pincushion Winter Festival had a twenty K classic was it 30k classic i know they've kind of varied it up a little bit all of you listeners up in duluth that's one that that would be fun to go to i think it's uh grand Marais, maybe north north of Duluth. the other day i told i asked my wife i was like yeah it'd be fun we go to duluth visit your folks and like just swing on up to grand Marais." and everyone in the room acted like grand Marais was on the other side of the moon relative to duluth i'm like oh my gosh i am not gonna say anything more i guess like i've really wanted to go explore the trails in grand Marais, and i thought it was relatively close to duluth apparently i was wrong i don't know duluth listeners let me know how accurate that is ajay where's the tofty is a tough guy town soundbite we made i made my wife say like a a hundred different towns where she said the town and then is a tough guy town and tofty was one of the best but i don't know we might have lost those audio files we might need to make her re-record them that's one that's a good one the Bemidji Finlandia was last weekend saw some photos up on skinny ski looked like a fantastic day um there's another one of those grassroot races I don't know I I just I love all the little all the little races that are out there cross-country races to me um they're just they're special little spectacles and I think it's sad when I hear that a race is dying and it makes my heart warm when a race is coming back and it makes me excited but somewhat skeptical or nervous when people come up with new races but I think it's great. I think we need more. And I think one thing is maybe that will help us have more is we shouldn't come in as a ski community going, I want to have a free beanie and I want to leave with a full meal and I want to leave with um, an award no matter what place I got. We can't have all that guys. Like it's better. You'd rather have more races, pay $15, have a crazy course, and and walk away with nothing that have no race at all or have the alternative be you have to pay 150 dollars, and then you get something that says you were like seventh place in your age group that has a three-year gap come on that's dumb that's not the spirit of racing so citizens we have to calm it down a little bit with some of our expectations i think and then race directors go out there make something interesting i've always thought a couple of cool race ideas One around Turquoise Lake here in Leadville. I know they used to have a race there. It's like 14 miles around the lake. It's one of the most, you know, interesting um, courses when it is groomed. It's it's groomed for snowmobiles, but if you catch it to skate ski, it's pretty awesome. It'd be a really cool race, skate or classic. I mean, a two day event there or a skiathlon would be so sweet because you got the whole road. So like you could you could groom it double track on one side and skate track on the other and do just an epic what would it be like 58k skiathlon you know the actually it might even be less it might be like 48k if you did yeah one lap classic one lap skate i thought i think that would be a sweet event and if at some point these races get too ridiculous maybe i will take it upon myself to organize it um speaking of races and events and a lack of them on the calendar one thing actually i don't really know where i was going in that transition but I wanted to, to do something humorous as far as like, oh, I have, you know, <clears throat> less races on my calendar than Ben Ogden has appointments on American Nordic Ski specific podcast last week. Um, but it kind of failed a little bit there. But Ben Ogden, I don't know if you, you saw this, but he was on like 17,000 podcasts in a span of four days. Uh, and, and I was like, wow, this is pretty crazy, Ben. He's really blowing up, you know? And, uh, I reach out when I do my broadcast prep to the, to, um, US ski and snowboard and then their media affiliates, they kind of branch out to athletes. And sometimes athletes get back to me. A lot of times they don't, but, um, Jesse Diggins, by the way, is uh, she always gets back to me and ha- sends these long audio files that are very detailed and I appreciate that so much. So if Jesse Diggins ever listened to this, thank you so much for that because I think that says a lot too. Like she's the one person on that team that probably has so many media commitments, you'd be like, oh gosh, who's this person? No, I'm not gonna answer it. But she always does. And anyway, um, I got I got a response from Ben Ogden before Toblock, and it was definitely one of the most humorous uh sound files but and I'm not going to play it you know I didn't I didn't say Ben I'm going to play this on here you know but I will play this one segment to it because even though Ben Ogden is a guest on every single podcast in North America apparently there's one podcast that he listens to uh here play that play that clip AJ
0: First of all I've, I I listen a little bit to this the old cedar's here podcast on my way home from uh the tour to ski. And I thought that, I thought it was great. I really like what you, uh, what you have to say about, about all of us. And, uh, that was cool. So, uh, keep it up, man.
1: For those of you who are not aware, by the way, Ben Ogden has been on the Cedar skier podcast before he was our second guest ever on the show way back in 2020 during the pandemic. Uh, we had a great conversation with him. Great episode. So go check that out. I'm sure it's back there in the files if not you might have to go to cedarskier.com and find it we used to post our podcast on the website not we didn't have an anchor station there but i think i uploaded the ben ogden show to anchor when once i launched that so ben ogden unfiltered on the cedar skier podcast back in 20, 2020 listen to myself just battling through this cold right now um the you can you can hear the snot the entire show this is probably driving everyone nuts and here the the one morning I thought sleep ski or cedar skier podcast and Christy's watching the kids here this morning while I record this show and then it just I just can't win you know I just I'm having one of those weeks where I just can't win ah man I'm sorry for those of you who are just you know, this is like nails on the chalkboard listening to the show. Hopefully not. There's still so much to get to. Uh, So many exciting things going on in the world of Nordic skiing. I mentioned the state high school ski races in Frisco earlier on the show. Um, How cool was it to see some of these young athletes um, competing for everything that they have dreamt about their whole lives um, coming together? you know, I've 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 probably ranted before on my show a little bit about like how Minnesota has a great state cross country uh, ski meet and they the way they have preps and clubs sort of integrated is just beautiful and I wish I could see that in Colorado. Um, it would it would be interesting to have some discussions from various people, you know, who know more than I do in Alaska, in Colorado, in Minnesota, in Wisconsin, Michigan um Maine, Vermont, these places that have a have a a, a different look on on everything, you know um, I think I I'm less I'm less opinionated on like Colorado should do it this way. I used to be a little more that way. like if see, look at how Minnesota does it, why can't you do it that way? I'm less that way now. Um, however, I will say this, in a perfect world, the ideal development system i i am 100% convinced and i know this is pretty much unachievable but i'm 100% convinced that if you could just literally replicate how we have basketball football track and field etc um <clears throat> for skiing we would be one of the best countries in the world just like we are in those other sports and what i mean by that is like if every single <laughs> high school program that had basically a track and field team also had a ski team as long as they're in a snow environment so you you basically would you wouldn't double the amount of kids skiing in america it would be like 150 times more kids skiing in america if every single high school had that program and everyone skied high school and then everyone who was good went on and skied in college and there was d1 d2 d3 skiing in college and then from there at 23 years old skiers went to the u.s ski team what you would essentially have there is the American version of the Scandinavian model, which is everyone is competing as kids in their club. And then at around 22, 23, they sort of are ready for the national team. And And I mean, I've I've gotten I've, I've read I've gotten emails from people talking about development, world juniors, blah, blah, blah. And this whole idea of like, look at the Scandinavian countries they don't even really care about what's happening at the U20 age group. They don't care about all these things. They they're focused on the long-term development and and when a kid's 22, 23, then they're ready for national team stuff. And the US, we sort of try to handpick these young stars way too early. We we thrust too much pressure on them, too much training on them, and many of them it it doesn't it doesn't end up working out in the long run. We lose people through the cracks. I think all that stuff is true, and I think the um the there there's not an easy solution given the current state of american skiing but i think like the surefire perhaps unrealistic solution would be <coughs> <Sorry>. <coughs> would be insanely robust high school and NCA systems so given that that is my opinion and and i get it it's it's kind of an unrealistic idea like can imagine a world where everyone's competing for the high school. And by the way, if you're a club coach listening to this, I love my, I love the club coaches out here in Colorado. So please don't turn this off and be like, I hate you Ryan now. All of the phenomenal club coaches that we have in the U S in my fantasy world, they would all be like amazing high school coaches too. And this would be then the same model as in Norway, where those coaches coaching all those club club teams and youth programs, they're really good skiers and really good ski coaches they're educated, they know technique, they know some physiological principles, all that stuff. They know all that. And so, um if the American version of that, I think, ideally would be you would have all of that kind of coaching just in a high school. And the reason that I think that is important, guys, is it makes it accessible for kids. And it keeps it like at a kid level. Like there's what, I, I don't know how to explain that except for like that old school idea of like, I'm going to elementary school with my pals. I'm going through middle school with my pals. And now we're in high school. And we can compete for a high school team together as friends. Um, as opposed to like Billy's 12 years old. He, he hasn't been going to class more than once a week now because he travels all over the country and all over the state for like club races and stuff. And he, he leaves school early to train at 11 a.m. And, sort of this professionalization that occurs in a with with club systems which like I get it that's that's kind of like by the book what would help someone physiologically but but let's try and see if we can have kids be kids too i think the american way of doing that is look at some of these other sports that are and, and this by the way this is deteriorating in other sports too sadly like if you're a really good basketball player now in minnesota or iowa or anywhere like you you tend to as you as you improve care less about your high school team and your high school colors and you end up on some eci club team and you're traveling to las vegas all summer and then like it's just an afterthought that you might put on your 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 high school team's colors and wear them a few times but like the at the highest level those kids are like high school basketball is just so contrived and professionalized it's quite sad. So like it, the other sports are, are actually kind of falling apart I think in this regard as well because parents are continuing to push the envelope on how early they can professionalize people, but this the weird thing is is like skiing has actually been like that way over the top for much longer. And the reason they can get away with it is it's just uh, that much smaller of a community. So if you have a kid who's 10 or 11 and they love skiing and they want to be a great skier, why wouldn't you send them to a club? I I would because if you want to give them the best opportunity for the best coaching, then then the club's the way to go. But but so so I'm 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 someone honestly like I probably won't follow what I think is the ideal route for our country with my own kids if they wanted to do skiing because yeah, we're going to take whatever is best for them. But but what I'm suggesting is like the best overall solution for the country would be if you had phenomenal club level coaches at every single high school in the country, and then you had about I don't know two and a half thousand more high school programs in the country, then you would see an incredible resurgence. So I get that it's unrealistic, but like I think that's my my ideal dream scenario is is you've got kids competing for their schools, and at their schools they've got great access to great coaching, <clears throat> and so when I go watch. You know, Colorado State cross country ski meet, uh, there was a lot of warm fuzzies because there's a lot of uh, every coach there, like that I talked to, they've all got the right mindset. They've got the right passion. They want what's best for their kids. They want to give as many kids as possible a chance to ski. All that is phenomenal. They're doing the right things. There's, there, I could never come to those meets and go. Well, you guys are, you got the wrong intentions here. And You know, the other thing is, is like there were some club coaches there helping out some of those high school high school teams. I thought that was amazing to see because now we see this integration as well um, between the club system, the high school system, and everything else. So that was really exciting for me to see. It, it gave me some warm fuzzies, and I think the only thing is now left to do is, you know, I just got to go out on a missionary journey and basically. You know, tell door-to-door, look, you need to get your kid out for cross-country skiing. And just do that in every city across the land. I think that's the next step to do because then, you know, every program will start to grow and we'll have that happening. Um, It is possible to grow a high school program. Shout out to the folks in Moorhead, Minnesota, where I grew up. And as a senior graduated, there was no Nordic ski team uh, at our school. None. None. And our high school cross country coach at the time, Tom Dewar, who was my coach in cross country for running, he launched a Nordic ski team, must've been like a year or two after we left. So like 2012, maybe. I don't think it's been around for like more than 10 years, but he has like, I mean, I, I, might, I might, I think it's like 60 kids maybe on his team. It's nuts. It's crazy. And they just had a, a kid play seventh at the state meet this year. Um, which is an unbelievable accomplishment, a medalist at the state cross-country meet. um, Pretty, pretty cool. And like to see the development and they've had they've had a lot of kids for many years. It's not like it's just hit that number like there was an enthusiasm there Um, and, and really someone needs to like do a story almost on that growth of that program to, to find a like, yeah, man, that first year, I bet that was crazy, right? Like trying to convince, cause first you got to educate like kids and educate their parents. Like, oh, this is actually what's required at a ski race. Uh, you know, you got to have like, yes, you do have to have a skate ski and classic skis. It starts that basic, you know, like, and then you as yourself as a coach too, like coach Dewar didn't ski in college or anything like that. So, so he's also teaching himself how to make skis fast. Uh, it's a, it's really a cool story. Might have to reach out to him to see if I could write something and put it in, just like as a inspirational. Hey, this is what our country needs: is more people going. I think our community. There's no reason it shouldn't have a cross country ski program. So I'm just going to do it if no one else will. Um, that that we need we need more people like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I guess I'm kind of on a development rant here. And the one thing that I'm, I don't know what, to, what my opinion should be on in the current state of things when athletes like say, um, <clears throat> oh, I'm going to not compete at a state meet cause I have a club race, um, <clears throat> you know, or I'm going to not compete on the world cup because I want to compete for my college. You know, like those two things, I think in the past I would have had a pretty, strong opinion and now I'm like I'm not really sure like I guess you got to do what's best for you kind of right like I don't really have a principle here obviously again in my ideal perfect world every kid would be competing for their high school all the way through state and they would also be competing at the U20 stuff and the club stuff as well it would all just work out they would just do both and everyone would would compete for their college because that would just be the logical thing in the progression there would not be this oh you're 21 and you could compete on the world cup so why are you competing for college? That, like, that, that kind of conversation doesn't even happen in Norway, right? If you've got a 21-year-old who's a stud, they just kind of keep them competing at that at those Norwegian Cups because that's part of the development. They they don't thrust them into the World Cup until they've finished their development. Unless they're a Klabo. And that's once every 500 years that you get a Klabo. You know, so yeah, I mean, I think... Right now, it's a little hard to go to parcel out. Like, do you think that was a good decision, a bad decision? I'm not really even sure, you know. Like, but I'm I'm happy these kids are kind of convinced that they're doing the the best thing and, and going for it. The one thing I will say, um, about about those decisions, I think, um, <clears throat> I think the one thing some of these kids end up missing out on when they decide to go a little, um. You know, too serious. That's, that's that maybe not even the right word. Sorry, I, I'm not sure what the right word is. But the one thing these kids miss out on because of the way our system is currently set up is y- you've got kids who are not really just being normal kids anymore. We're like in high school or even college, they wake up in a dorm room, go to class Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, train after school with their teammates and compete on Saturday and come back to campus. Like most of these athletes are doing everything online or 80% online they are traveling around the entire world um and, and and even as young as in high school and i think that's something that we are robbing kids from it's like just having a normal high school experience um and i think that's a little sad like it would be it would be tricky i don't envy any parent in that position of a really talented 15 year old where it's like oh gosh what do we do here you know like i kind of want my kids to to go to third period every day. And I want my kids to be in orchestra or, uh, you know, not be, not be in Europe for like five weeks at a time or just be like away from home for an entire month. Um, But this is sort of, this is their dream. They want to do this. And this is the obvious development like choice that you would, you would say, yeah, they're ready for that. They're, they're not being benefited. They're not being edified by these local competitions. So what do you do? Uh, I think that is tough, and I don't. I don't have the the right answer here. So hopefully, hopefully, no one's listening to this and going, "Well, he's, he's." I hate that guy now because of all the things he said. Uh, but I don't know. It, it it is it is something worthy. I feel like of like a very a very um, open roundtable discussion. You know, something where like you get some of these heads, these experienced minds in the the Alaska, the Colorado, all these different regions. Minnesota, the west, Idaho, I don't you, you name it, California, everything coming together for like 7 days in a row and like having this would be I think the ultimate vision that we should shoot for development wise in the in the US. And I mean, I know they they do like talk about these things at some of these big conferences, but I I wonder if they really give adequate time to share ideas and I wonder if they really give adequate attention to some of the more like crazy uh ideas like i just brought up i don't know maybe they are maybe they are just that maybe they're crazy um maybe what i mentioned too is like yeah we ryan actually you hit the nail on the head like we would love to get there but that's 30 years down the road and this is kind of the the pathway we're going but i think i think the model right now is more club based like the u.s believes you know that it's its national team is fed ultimately by the clubs so we need to make sure our club teams are all connected um with the same philosophies and ideas and that makes sense other than the fact that you're you're like you're sort of cutting off at present a large proportion of the ski population which you could argue oh th- yeah but those skiers aren't good enough right like it doesn't matter okay fine but But you're also cutting off, you're like siphoning away any chance of growth. Because what are the chances that those club programs that you've got kind of like in the stream with you are going to balloon and keep growing? And, you know, like that's that's not super likely, is it? I mean, maybe it is more likely than I think. But I just think like if you want to increase the talent pool, then you have to make it a priority to increase the talent pool not not make the priority. Okay, here's our clubs and let's let's get everyone synergized um philosophically and trading-wise and all that. I mean, maybe th- but maybe that's a start. Like maybe maybe the the goal actually is you educate all those club teams, those club coaches, those club athletes and then in the in the meantime as high school athletes and programs continue to grow, eventually there becomes this sort of like like the high schools almost become a feeder to the clubs that's kind of what you see honestly in colorado in colorado the high school programs are entry-level places for it for anyone of any experience level to hop in and race and if they get good enough then they might go okay i've sort of graduated from this this level of competition now i'm going to go race for a club team yeah the only the only bummer that is i think sometimes at a state meet it doesn't really have the same weight of a true state championship where you're racing against the best kids your age in the state. And that's the thing that's cool about the Minnesota one is with a lot of those club athletes there, it's very difficult to place even in the top like 30 in the state meet or even qualify for the state meet because you are racing now against some of those club athletes. And I think that's good. I think that is good for even the high school kids like, you know, hey you still get to race all of a regular season all of the section meets everything but yeah the state meet that's a big deal we we that's not a participation race like you're gonna have to go with the against the big boys the big girls there because there's gonna be club athletes so make making it a goal of qualifying it that's so valuable i think i think we have reverted a little too much to like a participation culture in our country for these sports where yeah, you know, like not only are we going to make the high school league an entry level welcoming place, but we're also going to give them a state experience. No, 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 you do not you do not need to do that. You you can give them the entry level, you can give them all the competitions, you don't need to hand them a state competition though. Um keep in mind, this is coming from someone who never competed in a single state competition in the three sports that he was in. Not one. And and I was actually I was only in one section so like a state qualifying championship, or a state qualifying event, one section championship in my entire career. Um, and I sat the bench as a 10th grader on the varsity team when we lost to go to state. So like, that's the closest I've been to a state competition. Um, and I was an alternate my senior year in cross country running. And we went to state that year. But um, yeah, so like, that's that, that I think can be a completely positive thing. To have that be a carrot out there that's very hard to achieve. Um, we, we do not need to make it so they all have it. I think that's... If, if I could say that there's one thing the Colorado State meet could change that would be pretty sweet, it would be that. It would be like, we're going to make the state meet have only the top 30 or top 40. You could probably make it top 40. Top 40 athletes in the entire state and, and opening it up to club athletes as well and give them an avenue to qualify for the state meet that doesn't require them to maybe race all of the state high school league competitions um but make it just make it that and i don't know maybe maybe it's a terrible idea maybe it'd be hard to like implement right away but i think it would be i think it'd be pretty sweet i think kids would i think kids would like it and i think also they would recognize like oh gee just making it to state is a massive accomplishment you know and and you'd still have like your region winning your region championship or having some of those things where like it might just be high school kids there. Like that could still be a thing that really connects high school clubs. I, I don't know. There's there's probably a lot of like details I have to work out. But I think that's the one my one takeaway there is the, as far as the field size goes, it was a little big. It was a, it was a little bit big. <coughs> <coughs> well, hopefully with all that, you see all my intentions um, and know that a high school coaches out there you guys are doing an amazing job um i couldn't do your job for sure club coaches same thing like you guys do so much for sports so kudos to you i, I don't want to come across as someone who is you know like just a, a complainer really i i definitely want to be someone who like inserts some different ideas in the conversation but i mean that's all that's all i am i don't want to be an enemy of the uh of the team so you, that, there's my caveat there, so please, if you see me on the trails, like, don't hate me for proposing different ideas. I I'm not speaking it to like a platform of millions of people. It's just FYI, so you know, I'm probably not saying that caveat to many individuals, but I just want them to know that. Oh, I love what the high school teams are doing, and I love what the club teams are doing. Uh, just simply posing some different, different ideas. Okay, well, um, we had a couple of clips. That I wanted to play from Molloy Park. I feel like they're kind of irrelevant now. So I'm sorry, I might just hold out of those. But it was great in the field reporting when it happened. I did talk to Sophia Lowkley, Novi McCabe, and Will Koch. <clears throat> um, if, if you're like dying to hear those interviews, I mean, Will Koch did tell me the secret of his father inventing skate skiing. So I guess there was that. I maybe should put that. No, he didn't say that. But, um, you know, you can you can send us a message if you really want to hear that. Otherwise, you know, um, up on the site here, I I noticed today we dropped our episode about making skis fast with Jacob Hughesby, So that's already up on cedarskier.com. This episode, um, we're gonna get, we'll probably post this here on Tuesday. And then we do want to get like a little bit of a prediction segment show for the world championships and that'll be coming up as well. And then we'll see how, how possible it is to do like a everyday recap of what we, what we saw in the world championships. I don't know if that'd even be interesting, but we might try and get that going as well. I will say one athlete, all of you guys should be cheering for is David Chuck Norris out there so david norris qualifying for the world championship team racing some of the distance events that's going to be amazing and i I probably could have ranted about this a long time but keep in mind that this guy's tune-up race for that was the alley loop he dressed up as like a squirrel hopping in the alley loop even for a brief moment hopping in the classic tracks to double pole behind me ryan cedarquist in the alley loop i mean Essentially, if he does something amazing at Worlds, I think I could even probably take some credit for that, you know, like having pulled him along, motivated him in the alley loop to great heights. Uh, David Norris, we've been the David Norris fan club for quite a while now, and and I'm just really pumped that he is going to be racing. He is someone I'd really love to have on the show. I don't know if it's possible here. I don't really want to like distract him before the World Championships, but... I did hear about kind of how he was nominated. It was a really cool story. Um, I just got to talk to the right people to see if like they, they'd they be willing to talk about just his year because I think it's it's interesting how he quasi-retired, coaching for Steamboat, hopping in races, you know, like testing skis over for 36 kilometers the day before, placing second overall at a U.S. Nationals distance race, stuff like that. It's kind of interesting. Um and he's still he, he could be the top distance skier um in the in the fifty K. You know, you never really know. Scott Patterson's been really good. He always does well in championship races, so I think those two will be probably duking it out. But anyway, that that's one thing I wanted to let you know, the inside scoop of like another show possibility? Yes, we'd love to get David Norris on. Just haven't really figured it out and and, um, but, but it would be a great it would be a great interview so we'll see what we can do see if I can reach out to him see if he'd be interested in it but go and check out our other episodes and stay tuned for more here for the World Championships and us starting I think on Wednesday so yeah it should be a great time we'll get a prediction segment out we'll start recapping things as well thank you for joining us on this show the Cedar Skeeter Podcast we're so glad you listened to it and put up with my voice put up with everything uh, and we'll see you next time Get out there. It looks like a pretty nice day. The sun is shining. So keep on striving. Keep on skiing. All right, I couldn't resist. Coming up here, we got Sophia Loughlin, Novi McCabe, and Will Coke. Live, not live at all. This was from after they raced at Malloy Park a couple of Fridays ago. How, how did it go today for you?
3: It was good. Yeah, I've I've been traveling and racing a lot, and so it was. I was worried like this super high here, and yeah, I wasn't really sure how it was gonna go because I've been feeling a bit tired, but it definitely felt pretty good. Um, and I heard a lot of scary stories of people blowing up this morning and so i was made sure to pace it conservative and i managed that so i was very happy with my pacing
1: yeah i I was kind of wondering this course you know you're a good climber but really there's a lot of v2 flat sections here i was like i wonder how she's gonna try and play this to her angle, you know, a little bit, because, yeah, no, yeah, Novi said, like, I was trying to just be controlled on the hills and really work these flats. What was your strategy Yeah, here? I
3: definitely, like, this was not my forte of a course, like, the little just rollers. Right. Um, I think I tried to ski the flats, but I definitely just went hard on the hills, and then yeah. <laughs> I just see you how know, I normally did. And I think there was some climbing, so it was good,
1: but... Cool. Yeah. And uh, you're coming from year 23s. How did you feel about your performances there?
3: Um... It wasn't awesome, I I was sick for most, or like, I got sick after the tour and was sick for the beginning of it, and so I definitely had some like big goals that I didn't really live up to, but it was kind of like changing expectations, and in that sense, they, it went pretty well, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, now I'm ready to get back to, like, training and getting back on
1: my game. Sure, sure. I mean, is that, are you, I, know, I saw you were named to the world yes. team. Are you competing there? I just talked I, to yeah. Nova, and she said she was going to do NCA stuff. What's your plan yeah, here?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm planning to go. I actually leave on Sunday. Okay. Um, And I have, yeah, I'll do a couple of the distance races there, and then I'll fly back for NCAA. Season. Okay,
1: so you're going to do NCA's yeah. as well. Yeah, last year, so I got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys have a pretty strong team. Yeah. Um, is it? What's it like, actually duking it out a lot with you and Novi. I mean, you guys push each other. It's a healthy competition, yeah, I'm sure. No. But, like, yeah, what, what's the vibes like, like on the starting lines? We
3: both have <laughs> the same goals, but I think the fact that we, we acknowledge that, it makes it it better to be happy for the other one when they do, like, or am yeah, happy when they do well and also understand that the other one can be a little bit disappointed. But I think cool. we've managed to come up with a good system. <laughs> People coming in, but, yeah. Uh, how, how was it out there? It
0: was good. I think
3: it's, like, such an advantage to
2: a race here before because the pacing is so kind of different than any other racing we do since it's so high. Um, But yeah, it was good.
1: Yeah, talk about that a little bit because I mean, I've skied around here too and you're a good climber, but really there's a lot of flat V2 you got to do. Like, what was your plan attacking this course?
2: Yeah, I think honestly my plan was, I think everyone kind of thinks about this other course, but to attack the flats and kind of keep it under control in that because once you like get flooded then it's kind of over sure so i think kind of like trying to stay relaxed in the uphills and just not overdoing it because i think there's a lot to be gained on the flats and not so much to be in on the uphills. so yeah
1: and you're just coming from u23s right yeah. how, how did you feel about your performances there
2: it was okay it was fun to be like part of uh, such a strong team there because i think we had a we had such a good group and the juniors and u23s are team so well i Wanted to be fighting for, like, podiums and wasn't really anywhere close to that, so I was a bit bummed about that, but it was a fun experience and such a fun group of people. Yeah.
1: You were over at the World Cup for period one, but you didn't start any races, right? Or um, did you start one of them? I can I remember. did.
2: I started uh, – like four, I think, Oh, but okay, it was sorry. only two of the weekends. It's, yeah, it's confusing. Okay. Okay. I was kind of sick on and off, so not a ton of racing then, but thank you.
1: That's <laughs> um, And so, but you you're, you're named to the Worlds team here, right? So, I mean, what's kind of your goal, mindset? How's the shape feeling yeah, going into that?
2: It feels pretty good. I'm actually, I'm not going to go over there and I'm going to oh, stay right. and do college. Oh, okay. It's hard with the, the girls are so strong that like, uh, Everyone's good at everything, so I didn't have starts this year. Um, so I was an alternate, which would also be so fun and like fun yeah, yeah. to be over there and experience it all. But uh, I think I'm excited to like go to Alaska and. To keep doing college racing and then hopefully be at NCAA. So, okay, yeah, I was, gonna, kind of the, I was gonna ask you that. Goal. So, that's
1: that's sort of the big race at the yeah. end of the year and going back. Hence, says wait, what year are you again?
2: I'm I'm a junior, but this will Good. be my last year racing college, so okay. Um, I'm excited to just enjoy all of that this year. Yeah,
1: that's pretty awesome. We got a girl, I live in Leadville, so Nina Schomberger lives out yeah, there too. And I know she, she's going to the U uh next yeah. year, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, um, cool. Hey, any other thoughts on this course? I guess you know, I gotta give the local angle, so like you've seen a lot of courses around the world yeah. how the uh, snow was it a little Beijing conditions on the snow or did you feel pretty oh, fast? I mean,
2: <laughs> honestly my skis were so fast today yeah. so I can't complain about that and the snow yeah. is nice I think it's like for sure different different style of course with all the winding and altitude but it's always fun to do something different than we're used to so I was excited about it.
1: but yeah, um, How'd it go today for you?
0: <laughs> uh, I think it went pretty well. It was definitely a, a real shock to the system um, coming up to this crazy altitude after, uh, after a few months being low. Yeah. But um, I really enjoyed it. I love a good, a good 5K, honestly. Did you race at Whistler? Is that where you were last? Oh, wait, were you at World Juniors? Before to... this, I was at, a, at World Cup.
1: World Cup, okay. Yeah. Wasn't sure. Um, so, what's the rest of the season kind of look like for you? NCAA, World Cup, a mixture? Do you have kind of? Do yeah. you have an idea? What's what your goals goal races are kind of?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, from this point forward, definitely the main target for me is NCAA Blaze. And um, I'll be definitely um, I'll be stateside until NCAA. Okay. After that, I guess we'll see. Um, there's a possibility I do Super Tour Finals, or there's a possibility I do. World Cup or OPA Finals.
1: What's it kind of like bouncing around all these different <laughs> circuits, you know? You, you see, like, the very best of the world, you here you're this small, quiet yeah. part of Vale. Like, uh, is it is that fun? Is it stressful, a little bit of both? I think it's really
0: fun, and um, one of my favorite parts about it is that I never have any doubt that I'll have a really good um, race to go to at any point. Yeah. Um, like, for a lot of skiers, I think it's like, their, their main goal is just World Cup, and it's pretty stressful not knowing if you'll make that or not. Sure. But um, this whole season, I will have been just as happy doing World Cup as being here. So I think it's a really good situation.
1: What do you think of this Malloy Park course? You guys had to hit a couple <laughs> of pretty steep hills. I mean, you've seen a lot of different venues. Yeah. So where does this kind of stack up?
0: Um, to be quite honest, I always tell people that this is one of my favorite courses to race on. Um, because there's just so many turns, transitions, short little punchy climbs, and that's my favorite racing terrain. And um, I also think that these courses ski pretty great at altitude um, because of kind of the the punchy nature of it, with um, without anything too long and sustained. Does yeah, the snow feel pretty slow compared
1: to some of those man-made, like the World Cup stuff you're on? Or do you have oh, good yeah. skis today?
0: Oh yeah, I I had good skis today, but it was still slow. Yeah, Um, it's the difference between like, you know, today like the competitive times are probably around 14, 15 minutes for 5K, versus like 11 on the World (laughs) Cup is 10 or 11. Yeah, yeah. 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 Cool, cool. Hey, any other thoughts? Um, No. Cool. Hey, I appreciate
2: talking. Good job today. Thank you. Good luck rest of the year too. Thanks so much.